Welcome to All Sides with Anna Staver. For the first time in more than 200 years, Ohio will experience a total eclipse. On the afternoon of Monday, April 8th, the moon will pass between the Earth and the sun, obscuring it entirely for, for those in what's called the path of totality. It's a once-in-a-lifetime event, and tens of thousands of people are expected to flood into that zone of totality to see it happen. This hour, we're explaining the, silent, the science of a solar eclipse, what it's like to experience one in person, and where you can go here in Ohio to see it happen. Joining us now is Tom Burns, former director of Perkins Observatory at Ohio Wesleyan University. Welcome to All Sides. Uh, glad to be here, as always. Let's start with the basics. What is a total solar eclipse? A total solar eclipse is a conjunction between the moon and the sun. That is, the sun's out there, the moon is a lot closer. As a matter of fact, the sun is 400 times farther away than the moon. But um, the moon, uh, but they are also 400 times different in their size, which means they look exactly the same size in the sky. People say, how big is the sun in the sky? So they go out and look at the full moon. Well, on rare occasions over a tiny band uh, on planet Earth in various locations, the moon gets in front of the sun, and if the moon at, at that point is a little bigger than the sun as it appears in the sky, we get a few minutes of the sun completely blocked, and we see the sun's outer atmosphere, called its corona, which is, if you will excuse me for putting it this way, I, I'm an inveterate hiker, and so I have seen nature at its best and its worst, but this is the most beautiful and rarest and most spectacular and most glorious sight that human beings can behold. So you can't oversell it. You, can, you <laughs> cannot oversell it. Um, the analogy, and people often say to me, oh, I'm on the 99%, I'm at the 99%. The edge of totality. The edge of totality, just outside that long band. And I don't really feel like driving an hour and a half to get to some place where I can see the totality. And I always, uh, I use various analogies, but my favorite one is uh, by an essayist called Annie Dillard, who is one of my favorite writers. She said that the difference between the partial phases and the totality is the difference between kiss, I'm going to quote her, kissing a man and marrying him, <laughs> which comes close, but it doesn't quite capture. It is like, I would say, you go to an OSU football game, and it's one of those slog-it-out affairs for most of the game. And, you know, this is kind of exciting, and there, there might be some applause at a good play. But then, with one second left to go, the opponent fumbles on your one-yard line person has one second to throw the ball and throws a perfect arch that drops into the hand of the wide receiver as the wide receiver is running at full tilt 
and ends up in the end zone, and the crowd goes wild and storms the field, that's the difference between the partial phases and the totality. I also have a restaurant analogy we can use later. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I will say, so I lived in Denver, Colorado for the last one in 2017. And the path of totality was just outside Denver North in Wyoming. So I was about an hour from totality. I think it was at 95-ish percent. And, you know, the light got funny. We saw those weird, like, crescent-shaped shadows everywhere. The birds and the animals got funky. That's, by the way, that's a great, if I may interrupt, that's a great way of observing the partial phases, if you don't have a happen to have a pair of eclipse glasses, you look for the light shining through the leaves of trees, or you put your fingers together so that you get tiny little pinholes of light and then let that shine on the ground. And every little pinhole, every little point of light is going to be a beautiful crescent sun. Yeah, the the animals got weird, the light got weird, but it didn't it kind of got dusk, but it did not get pitch black dark. And so, I'll admit it was a little bit of a letdown, but I was I I delivered my second daughter 2 days afterwards, so making the trek up to Wyoming was just not in the cards that year. I understand completely. There are a lot of things that you can experience during a partial eclipse. The temperature will go down. Uh, the one I saw on the Baja Peninsula in 1991, the temperature went down 10 degrees. The, humidi- the humidity increased, and literally we were covered with dew. And all around us, 360 degrees was sunset or sunrise, twilight, because you were looking past that 150-mile band into the sunlight. So imagine a sunset, a beautiful orange, golden sunset, 360 degrees around you. And I've heard that if you want to experience the 360 degree sunset, you probably need to be up on a hill, like, or someplace where it's not being blocked That's by other right. things. I wouldn't, for a lot of different reasons, I'd be out in the middle of nowhere, if possible, in some farmer's field uh, or something like that, yes. And so I want to ask what the difference is. So there's a wide path of totality. It's about 100 miles-ish wide. Um, Does it make a difference if I'm in dead center or left or right? Lordy, yes. (laughs) As a matter of fact, what I recommend to people is no matter what it takes, you get to that center line. And by the way, if you want to find out what the eclipse is going to look like from your location, or from a location you want to go to, there's a 3D interactive map at time and date. That's T-I-M-E-A-N-D-D-A-T-E, one word, dot com, that allows you to get exact timings to the second of when the eclipse will start, when the totality will begin, and how, now this is important, how long the totality will be. You're talking about an event so beautiful. Is it worth driving another 100 miles to get 30 seconds more? Yes, it is. And if I could just, one more story to give you a sense of this. Um, We were on a cruise for the 91 eclipse, and I was hanging out a lot at this outdoor bar that was bartended by this Filipino. 
and I'm the only one sitting there, and I'm having an orange juice, you know. And so he said to me, and I'll try to get exactly what he said. He said, you people crazy. You know drink, you know dance, you know party, and he mentioned a couple of other things that I won't mention here. You people crazy. And I said, just wait until after the eclipse and let's talk about this again. Well, this the deck of this ship was crowded, elbow to elbow, shoulder to shoulder. And he act literally forced his way through that crowd to stand next to me. And during the totality, he's going, his jaw hanging open. I handed him my binoculars so that he could look at the details in the corona. And tears began to roll down his face. And he said, now I understand. Oh, my goodness. Get to that um, line right in the middle of that path. You can find the, the maps on timeanddate.com. And if it's cloudy, you hop in your car and you drive down that eclipse path like a banshee <laughs> until you get to clear skies. And this is all part of the planning. Um, I would not recommend going north, even though uh, the farther north you go from Columbus to Delaware, Marion, places like that, the more eclipse you will see. Because, for example, where I live in northwestern Columbus, the eclipse is, the totality is 15 seconds. Go to Dublin, it's a minute and a half. Go to Delaware, it's uh, two minutes. Go to Marion, it's two and a half minutes. Keep on going to Lorraine, which is to the west of Cleveland, it's three minutes and 58 seconds. And believe me, you will cherish those extra seconds for the whole rest of your life. Well, you've sold me. Hallelujah, <laughs> brothers and sisters. I am not here to be a scientist. I am not a scientist. I am an eclipse evangelist. And I say this to ye, O oh my brothers and sisters and others. You owe it to yourself. And I might add, you owe it to your children to give them this experience because it will change those children and it just might change you. I want to talk about safety for viewing oh, the eclipse. Yes, thank you. Good. Yes. So I, having experienced the eclipse in Colorado in 2017, not the f total eclipse, but the mad rush for protective eyewear, I I would suggest, and I want to get your opinion, buying your glasses now, like yes. right now. Go online, order them Yesterday now. Yesterday at the latest. Or uh, if I can recommend, yeah. um, you know, you can order them from Amazon. But there are local organizations that are selling eclipse glasses for not much more than they uh, paid for them themselves. And what you can do, well, to give you an example, in 1994, 
for the annular eclipse. I sold eclipse glasses in central Ohio. I was director of Perkins Observatory. The place was falling apart. It was about to fold. Um, I raised a, a profit of $200,000. And all of a sudden, Perkins Observatory had a display area, and it did not die. It had the money to survive. Um, Perkins Observatory and the Columbus Astronomical Society, which if you don't belong to and you're interested in astronomy, you should join, um, are selling eclipse glasses, and the money will be used for this kind of astronomical education and not to buy a trip to the Bahamas. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything we should be looking for when ordering glasses so we know we're getting a quality pair, ver like something that will actually provide protection? Yes, and you should look for this on the glasses themselves. There are three certifications, ISO, CE, and AAS, which is the American Astronomical Society. I would look for all three of those. Um, and also, uh, eclipse glasses have come a long way. So now they are black plastic, which filters out all of the UV, but the black plastic tends to get warm. So now they're coating them with a thin coating of aluminum. And you should make sure that the ones that you are getting do both. They're not as good optically as the black plastic glasses, but they will not heat up. And this is another thing I want to talk about safety. Um, I have watched people use eclipse glasses a lot. And I notice that some people put on their eclipse glasses when the eclipse starts at about 1.50 p.m. And they'll just observe all, every every moment of the partial phases for an hour and 15 minutes. And what you discover is that those uh, glasses will heat up and it can get uncomfortable. And I don't know whether it causes any damage to your eye or not. So here's what you do. You go for first contact. That's really important, that first little bite. And we can talk about some mythology associated with that. And then you watch for 30 seconds or a minute, and then you take a two or three minute break. You talk to the people around you. Oh my God, we're here at a total solar eclipse. Ooh, ooh, ooh. And then you put them back on, you observe for another 30 seconds or a minute, and then you take a break. And uh, it's just really the safest and most comfortable way. Besides which, I watch these people observing all the hour and 15 minutes of the partial phases, and they're like, is this all there is? <laughs> this is so boring. <laughs> and I have never seen anyone after the totality to stick around for the partial phases that happen, happen after the totality <laughs> if you want to get a sense of the difference in the experience. And we also want to hear from you this hour. Are you planning to attend the eclipse? Have you been to other eclipses? You can reach us at 614 292-8513. And I want to go to James in Clintonville, who wants to share his experience from the last eclipse. Go ahead, James. So uh, I had this on my radar for decades, and uh, I originally thought um, I could go to maybe Pikes Peak and watch the shadow advance from the east, but it doesn't go that way. So um, the closer it got, the more excited I got, and I started... Um, 
looking for spots where there might be clear sky and some elevation. And um, I ended up finding this app, Clear Skies, which helped a lot. And I was looking, you know, daily. Um, and eventually I decided I was going to have to go way west from Columbus. And I left on Friday uh, afternoon, didn't get out of my car for about a day and a half except to pump mm. gas and go to the bathroom. Been there. Know, uh, <laughs> and, 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 and I got to Huntington, Oregon around 3 Pacific time on Sunday and um, found a BLM campsite from which I could literally walk uphill. And eventually I hitchhiked. Um, it was super steep, and I got up to beyond where the uh, windmills were. And there were people up there already, including a, a car just like mine that I thought, even with all-wheel drive, might have a difficult time. So um, the next morning I got up, you know, before dawn and made some coffee and had some breakfast and did the same thing. I walked maybe halfway up, and I think we're talking about uh, a thousand or two feet elevation up from the Snake River. And, man, man, was it worth it. Uh, so, we were, yeah. I was in Stanley, Idaho <laughs> for, for that eclipse, and uh, we walked up the mountain to... Uh, to, to a beautiful spot where there was a lake and the Sawtooth Mountain in the distance, and the place was just literally covered with tents. Uh, so we went back down and, uh, and observed it from the Sawtooth National Forest, and I have to say, if you're going to observe an eclipse, the ideal place is a place like Oh, a park or something like that where you can get some spread around you so that uh, you can look at the eclipse. And it's hard to say when an eclipse is only four minutes long. You don't want to waste any time looking around you. But during that totality, we had 365-degree sunset, twilight. The temperature went down eight degrees. The dew fell on our skin. The birds went to roost during the darkest part. And the corona of the sun is about as bright as the full moon. So you're talking about a dark night. The stars and planets appeared. And it was the whole experience is like nothing you have ever experienced before if you've never had, if you've never seen a totality. And are you going to go see this one? Oh, we had to let him oh, go because oh, we've better. actually, thank you so much, James. We, had to, we have to go to break, actually. Okay. So we're going to take a quick break. And coming up, we're talking with a man who has made chasing solar eclipses his life's work. That's when All Sides continues on 89.7 NPR News.
Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, we're taking center stage. Introducing NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of Black-led stories from NPR's podcasts. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to All Sides with Anna Staver. We're talking this hour about the upcoming solar eclipse on April 8th. And our next guest has made chasing eclipses his life work. David Makepeace is Canada's busiest eclipse chaser, and he joins us now. Welcome to All Sides. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. So you have witnessed eclipses in 25 countries on all continents. First of all, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. How did you get into this? Uh, How did you decide, you know, I got to see as many as possible? Well, you know, I sort of feel like the decision was made for me. I was in Mexico at the right place at the right time in 1991, visiting a friend of mine. I knew the solar eclipse was coming and I thought, geez, that's, that's cool. That'll be neat. So we'll go and we'll see it. We stood on a hilltop and then I noticed the shadow of the moon racing off the Pacific Ocean coming to our location. And then when I looked up into the sky and saw the moon finally block out the sun for a a period of over six minutes, um, I couldn't believe what I saw in the sky. And that six minutes went by in approximately eight seconds is what it felt like. And then it was over. I was covered in shivers and goosebumps. The hair on the back of my neck was standing up. And I said, when's the next one? So I had never seen anything quite like that before, um, and it completely sort of changed the course of my life. And uh, uh, I had to chase the next one, and then 32 years has gone by. And we also want to hear from you this hour. Have you been to a solar eclipse? Are you hoping to experience this one in Ohio for the very first time? You can reach us at 614-292-8513. And I want to go to Hall in Clintonville. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I actually used to be neighbors with Tom, office neighbors, um, but I have a story, story to tell about my experience with the eclipse in France in 1999. I was studying abroad there, and um, I had class during that time, but I decided to skip, and the French newspaper Le Monde had a special supplement, and if you bought it, it came with the glasses, and I got on a train to Compiègne, where the, the line of totality was it's a little town north of paris and the trains were so packed people were sitting in the luggage compartments and piled up on top of each other and i went to a park there that there were i think about eleven thousand people crammed into that park Um, and that experience was really unforgettable yeah and Everyone who keeps calling in says that this is just unforgettable. And I, as I said in the last segment, I was nine months pregnant with my daughter when the last one happened. So I was in Denver, about two hours away, and we didn't go. And 95% totality, like almost at that edge, it's it doesn't sound like it's remotely close to the same. Well, that's certainly true. Um, I was reading... Uh, um a post from a uh, fellow eclipse chaser today, and he said 95% of a partial eclipse is exactly 0% of a total eclipse. <laughs> and that's true. It sounds like the higher percentage you get, well, that's going to be pretty good. Let's drive from 20% to 95, right? Because that's pretty good. But no, if it's not 100% um, of the uh, sun covered by the moon, then you really have missed it. Even 99%, there's so much 
sun still visible, that all of the tremendous phenomenon are not triggered. You must be in the path of totality uh, to see all of these tremendous natural phenomenon. I do want to ask, as somebody who's been to many, many eclipses, what can you tell us about the traffic, like the logistics of getting there, the wait time maybe getting home? Like, what should we be expecting? Um, I would be expecting the worst, unfortunately, um, especially as this eclipse moves through uh, regions of uh, heavily populated land, as we have on the um, uh, the eastern side of the continent. That's true in Mexico and in the U.S. and in Canada. Um, for many of the eclipses that I've been to, we end up in extremely remote uh, locations um, where it's possible to see the eclipse and, and these things are not an issue. But where you have, I think it's 30 or 32 million people in the United States living directly inside the path of totality and potentially millions more driving into the path on the day. Of course, traffic will be a nightmare. I think the best advice or the best tips here are really to go early um, and plan to stay in place with some food and something to drink. Um, well before the eclipse begins and then stay several hours after. Don't be in a rush to leave and then add to all that traffic uh, congestion. Uh, there's no reason to rush off to rush off when it's finished. Yeah, I remember. So when I, I had some friends who, you know, weren't nine months pregnant and went up to Wyoming to watch Totality, they had incredible stories. But they said it, it was about a two hour drive to get there. Uh, it took them over 11 hours to get back just to give people some context on what you're talking about in terms of a commute. Yeah, I, I think the um, uh, we don't want to put anybody off with the nasty traffic times, uh, but you just you need to be prepared. As with any other special event, um, um, you know there will be it'll be very well attended. Um, so just take your time, be patient, and know that the payoff of seeing totality is well worth all of this effort. So I would make those extra plans: go early, stay late, don't be in a rush, and then savor the moments of totality in your memory once it's done. I want to go to Sharon in Columbus. Welcome to All Sides. Thank you. I was up in northern Michigan about 20 years ago, and we were a couple of degrees off full totality. And it was amazing because as totality approached where it was, the air turned green. And you expected to see fish swimming in it, and it stayed green. We did see a lot of it, but, you know, we didn't reach totality. And I would argue that that was amazing as well. But probably the most magical eclipse I ever saw was a lunar one. It was probably about, oh, 15 years ago. I, I couldn't tell you. Um, about one in the morning, I just stepped out my back door onto the driveway. The moon was a big copper penny, and we watched as the wolf devoured it. It was magical. Thank you so much, Sharon. Are there any other, so obviously traffic is a concern. Is there any other concerns or risks or dangers that we should be aware of when it comes to a total eclipse? Yes, of course. The, the main one is the eye protection issue. Um, throughout the partial phase of the eclipse, approximately the first 90 minutes of the eclipse, once the moon appears to start taking a bite out of the sun, which gives you a reason to want to look up and, and see what's going on, you've got approximately 90 minutes. If you're standing in the path of totality, eventually the moon will cover the sun completely, but that's an hour and a half away. For that entire time, when the sun is shrinking and shrinking down to a sliver, you must observe. There's no way around this. You must observe 
um, the uh, face of the sun with uh, certified solar eclipse glasses. You can't look through smoky ashtrays or three pairs of sunglasses. <laughs> or uh, this is all this has all been done, and it's all been done terribly. Um, and of course, uh, people do have eye damage as a result of taking risks that they ought not take. So there are um, plentiful sources for certified solar eclipse glasses. You know, they're these little cardboard ones with a little bit of mylar in between, like the old style 3D glasses from uh, the 50s. You just put those over and you can observe the sun for as long as you want. And these are only a couple of dollars. They're available now. I would certainly get your order in. Uh, and they're easily shared. You can have two or three pairs for 10 people. You don't need to have your own. Um, and you can look up for a few moments every couple of minutes during that partial phase. And of course, that plays out in reverse reverse after totality as the moon moves away. So you've got this potentially three hour event, uh, the most of which you must have eye protection to observe safely. Can I ask, uh, we have a listener question. What about taking photographs using your phone? Is it okay to look through the camera while you're taking a picture? Um, it really depends on the the amount of um, magnification that you're talking about. So if there's if it's anything more than a, a wide angle that you would be seeing with your eye anyway during totality, you you, you do need to be careful. At any moment, uh, without warning, the sun could um, uh, reappear behind the um, advancing limb of the moon. Um, and if it comes through a zoom lens, it, it may magnify the energy of the sun right into your eye more than you would like. So you do need to be careful with uh, with zoom lenses, but Uh, That being said, during totality, the sun really is missing. So all of the um, potential danger from observing the surface of the sun is gone for those two minutes, perhaps three minutes, perhaps four, depending where you are. And that is completely safe to observe with the naked eye. And uh, as a result, it's, it's completely safe to observe through a camera. But you must be very, very careful that you don't end up, um, you know, magnifying the sun at the moment that it reappears. So I would say don't even bother too much with photography. This thing will move so quickly. It'll be so fantastic. There's so much to see in your environment. I mean, stars and planets have come out. The sky is an azure blue. The corona itself, the atmosphere of the sun, it's hard to take your eyes off it. In most locations, there'll be an orange glow like the sunset for 360 degrees all around you. All of this makes you feel like you're on an alien planet for a few moments. And the last thing that you want to be doing really is fumbling with a camera and an F-stop and advancing and looking down at the camera. I would say forget all that. There'll be lovely pictures that you can see from others um, after the thing is over. But I would say, just enjoy it the best you can on your own. We have a call from Danielle in Columbus who saw the eclipse in Kentucky back in 2017. Welcome to All Sides. Hi. Thanks. Um, yes, I went out in Kentucky and totality is just so intense. I literally cried and it was so beautiful. Um, another thing about the traffic, it was about a four hour drive. It took us 17 hours to get home. So I'm going to see the clip in April, and I'm staying an extra day in the town where I see it in totality. Thanks, Danielle. That is a good point. Hotels are booking up. They may already be full, but if you have the they may be very expensive because of the eclipse. Gotta love that like event pricing. But or uh, but if you have the means, it's not a bad idea to stay that extra day, right, David? Absolutely. If you have the means and um... You know, why not do a little bit of touring in an area that perhaps you're not as familiar with, um, especially if you're um, of the sort that feels that 
Um, the weather determines where you might see the eclipse from, like perhaps it's going to be cloudy in the area that's your first choice. You might notice that 10 or 12 or 15 hours before the eclipse, oh, there's going to be some cloudiness there and it looks more clear in the south part of the state or in the north part of the adjacent state. Maybe you want to drive down there and uh, see a part of the, the region that you haven't seen before. And yes, stay the extra day. Uh, if you can get some accommodation, uh, why not turn it into a little bit of a vacation as well? And so the path of totality here in Ohio is going to cross Lake Erie and a number of other bodies of water located in state parks. Uh, what is are there safety concerns? Like, can I take a kayak or a fishing boat or a speedboat out on a lake and watch? Oh, yes. No question about that. Um, you know, in those cases, of course, um, whoever the uh, the skipper or the captain is or the operator uh, must be you know <laughs> um, more responsible than normal because I uh, believe me during those few moments of totality you will lose your mind <laughs> I guarantee that you will lose your mind and your hand might come off the steering wheel or off the motor um, so you really need so to maybe be, very be anchored careful. in place yeah, perhaps be anchored in place is probably the best um, advice if you're going to be on the water. Um, because if you're not, if you haven't seen an eclipse before and you think that you can keep it together while you're operating uh, some machinery, I'm going to say that no, you can't, and you better be as safe as possible. What can we expect from the animals in our area during the eclipse? So, this is such a good question. Um, and I know that there are um, researchers who look into this every time now as we try to build um, a body of knowledge um, about exactly how animals respond. And it seems some of the early research is pointing mostly to the interruption of circadian rhythm, where uh, birds and um, uh, animals of all sorts, of course, who are outside all the time, uh, they know exactly when in, in this time of year the sun's been coming up, when has it been going down. And then when the total eclipse comes, middle of the day, perhaps 11 uh, in the morning, 1 p.m., all of a sudden you have this rapid onset of darkening and then it's dark. And um, uh, birds don't know what to make of this. Why has the, the, the night come so soon? It makes no sense. So they roost and they're back in trees and they're all buzzing inside the tree. And then when it's completely dark, they're all quiet. Uh, and this is very unusual behavior because of course they don't do that on a normal day. Um, and when I was in India, uh, as soon as totality came, several cows lay down in the middle of the road and they would not get up for hours afterwards, even after the sun reappeared. Oh, wow. So it seems that this interruption of the circadian rhythm is quite confusing and upsetting, uh, certainly for some species. Um, and as I say, this is being looked at uh, in, in more detail to see if we can nail down uh, some specific behavior on specific species. But um, believe me, the birds and the animals, they're all very well aware of what's going on. It's fascinating to see uh, the change in their behavior. So perhaps prepare for your pet to behave strangely, too. Indeed, absolutely. If you're bringing your dog or your cat with you or, you know, um, whatever pet you have, um, there will be a response from uh, your pets, no question. That was David Makepeace, an eclipse chaser from Canada who's seen more than 25 eclipses on all continents. Thank you so much for your information today. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Coming up, we're talking with the Ohio Department of Natural Resources about where you can watch the eclipse and what you may expect from the parks where in the path of totality. That's when All Sides continues on 89.7 NPR News.
Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, we're taking center stage. Introducing NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of Black-led stories from NPR's podcasts. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to All Sides with Anna Staber. This hour, we're talking about how to prepare and experience the upcoming solar eclipse happening here in Ohio on April 8th. In preparation for the event, Ohio's state parks are expecting a crush of visitors. A number of festivals will also be taking place all across the path of totality. Joining us now to discuss how Ohio state parks and wildlife areas are preparing for the solar eclipse is Andy Chow, press secretary for ODNR. Welcome to All Sides. Hey, Anna. Thanks for having me here. I guess I should say welcome back. (laughs) It's been a while, but I'm happy to be here. This is fun. Yeah. I, so there are 18 parks in the path of totality, and they're offering special programming for the eclipse. I'm not going to ask you to detail all the parks and <laughs> all the events, but can you give us a general sense of what to expect? Sure. You know, at this point, we've been planning this eclipse for so long, I could maybe be able to recite from memory all the parks and wildlife areas. But yeah, we've got about 17 parks now that have robust programming Uh, That will happen throughout the weekend leading up to the eclipse and five wildlife areas that are in or near the path of totality. And we just see this as a really great opportunity to be able to serve people uh, an amazing backdrop for the eclipse. We've been hearing all these stories all hour long about the total eclipse. So I think it's really cool to uh, just hear all these stories. And we want to be part of that. And we know that it's a really cool uh, opportunity to be part of that. So we've got programming throughout the weekend, things like being able to teach people about the astronomical event itself, to teach a little bit about more about astronomy. How does a solar eclipse happen? Why does it only happen every once in a while, not every year? As I was just talking to Matthew Rand earlier, the Earth is tilting at it ax- uh, on its axis, so there are reasons why the total eclipse doesn't happen all the time. We'll have programming like that. We will also be talking about another subject you already brought up, which is what happens to nocturnal animals, and people will be able to go on a night hike to be able to hear and see the sights and hear the sounds of nocturnal animals and then compare that to when an eclipse happens. <gasps> oh, that's happens. so fascinating. Yeah, so I love like, that. Where is that happening? So, uh, At all of our parks and wildlife areas. So... Uh, at at these parks that are providing programming. So we got things like that going on. Also, archery. So something fun we do at these parks and wildlife areas is uh, archery and uh, astronomy-themed archery. So maybe having planets to shoot at or around or something <laughs> like that. So we've got all sorts of things going on, all sorts of fun. Uh, we, we know that the parks and wildlife areas are a very important part of everybody's plans and now we're just trying to get the message out there to do as much as everybody can to prepare for such a big event because as you've also talked about there are things like traffic to deal with yeah you are advising people to pack extra food extra water medications in case they're stuck in the park for longer than they expect and the idea is maybe come a few hours early maybe leave a few hours late make a whole day of it or plan to make a whole day 
Yeah, so we definitely have programming going on after the solar eclipse to help encourage people to stay around a little bit later, to help thin out the crowds in that way. Uh, And when it comes to people camping out at the parks, we're making sure that they have to actually arrive a day earlier. So there's a required two-night stay when it comes to staying at our campgrounds. Just different things here and there to try to help uh, spread out the entrances and exits. We also... we. Safety is top of mind for us, so we have natural resources officers and wildlife officers that will be stationed all around the path of totality at our locations to make sure that everybody's safe, to make sure that the traffic is controlled in a safe way. When you talked about packing things, yeah, pack your extra medication, pack your food, water. Um, Make sure you bring your own glasses if you can get your own glasses we as ODNR have uh, ordered 100,000 glasses to pass out. Good for you guys. Those will around. go quick, though. They will go quick. So we will we will try to make sure that all of our locations have glasses, but they can go quickly. So make sure to get your own. And then another thing to mention is uh, there is, of course, uh, an environmental impact to all this. So please bring your own trash bags and try to maybe... Mm. Pack your any trash that you bring in. Be sure to try to pack it out with you. That way, we can reduce the amount of trash left behind. I want to go to a call from Brad in Columbus, who has a really interesting offer for people looking to experience the eclipse. Welcome to All Sides, Brad. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing great. Um, So we uh, we're located near Caesar Creek State Park. Um, and we run a skydiving operation there called Skydive Cincinnati, and we're offering a total solar eclipse skydive during the uh, totality. That sounds so incredible. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Do you have to be an experienced skydiver, or can this be your first job? You do not. You can do a tandem skydive from 10,000 feet and experience it in its full glory. What is that going to run me? (laughs) Um, I would say contact the office at Skydive Cincinnati, and they would be the one, because I'm an instructor, I will either strap you to me or be taking your picture. Um, So I don't do the office side of things, but if you want to call down there and ask them, that would be great. Have you ever skydived in an eclipse? Uh, Yeah, last time we had one. Oh my gosh, what was it like? Uh, It's pretty awesome, um, I got to (laughs) say. So just anytime you can do something in a different way, um, and it involves skydiving, I'm in. (laughs) That sounds amazing. So skydive Cincinnati if you want to drop from a plane in the middle of the eclipse. Thank you so much, Brad. Anna, I'll let you do that. I'll let you do that, and you can tell me all about it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So you guys, though, will have extra bathrooms, right? Yeah, that's another thing. First aid stations? What's that? First aid stations, all that kind of stuff. First aid stations, yeah. We're going to have – we've been planning this with the – uh, collaboration with the Ohio EMA since 2021. So this is something that we've been preparing for for a long time. We see this as a really great opportunity. But again, yes, things like extra bathrooms. I think we've got more than nearly 200 extra porta potties on their way to different locations. Um, all sorts of things that we're trying to think of in preparation for this. Making sure that our law enforcement have uh, redundancies and communication devices. Because uh, here's another thing: try to make sure they bring maybe an extra cell phone battery or something, or a cell phone charger, because it's very possible to uh, 
that your cell phone might run out of power and the cell towers might be clogged. So just have a, a couple of extra plans in place when it comes to communicating with other people. That's a really good point, that cell phone towers could be overloaded, making it hard to send and receive messages. So if you and friends and family are trying to connect, it might it might be a lot more challenging. Yeah. So have, you know, like it's it's like uh, when you go to a big festival or something, you have a meetup point like, hey, if we can't text each other. Let's try to meet at this location. Those types of things. Make sure you have your plans in place. And I assume most of the camping sites at these parks are full, but are there any left? So I would try to get numbers, but every time I try to get numbers from our great people uh, ODNR, uh, they change uh, in real time. So the best thing you can do is go to Reserve Ohio and check out that website, check out to see any camping sites that are available. They are going very fast, though. We're reaching capacity pretty quickly. And that's for overnight camping. There's still day use uh availability at these locations so just because we're booked for the campsites doesn't mean that you can't try to go see to go to these one of these locations during the day of the eclipse can you reserve day use spots uh that so there is day use availability for uh reservations but those are also going so that that's also on reserve but that might be one of those great alternatives if you low cell service if you have one of those reserved day use spots then you all know where you're meeting yeah yeah so and you know at at our locations at our state parks at our wildlife areas there's all sorts of things to kind of point out as a landmark hey let's meet at this shelter house let's meet at this location here or there this bat house yeah (laughs) (laughs) although gosh what are the bats what are the bats gonna do i think the ins that's what i'm really interested with the insects that you usually hear at night are they gonna start chirping uh during the during totality are you going to be in one of our state parks? I won't ask you which one. But. I will gladly be at one of our locations. I'm just going to go where I'm needed. So at this point, we have all sorts of wonderful staff at ODNR volunteering to work here or there. And I'm going to be one of those people just going where I'm needed. I, my daughter's school district has canceled class. I know Worthington schools are canceling classes. Are your daughters off? So they're not off now. Um, but I'm still waiting because I think I feel like these schools just keep making these decisions. So uh, we'll see if, uh, hey, Canal Winchester, if you want to <laughs> call the day off, you know, we're here Be for much it. appreciated. <laughs> it sounds like it's the kind of thing our kids would really enjoy. Yeah, our our kids are really big into science and astronomy. And so like this, this is something that's really exciting for everybody in our house. We already have our glasses. Oh, us um, too. <laughs> yeah. So because I remember last time. Uh, I had to share with a friend of the show, Jeremy Pelzer. He and I had to share glasses and and pass them back and forth. And I didn't want to be in that position this time. So I got my own glasses. So several of these parks, like Alum Creek, for example, have bodies of water where people boat and kayak. Are you going to be letting people onto the water this day? That's a really good question. That's some, not something that I've uh, heard in our conversations, but I also haven't heard the opposite. I think the same type of opportunities that are available to people on a regular Monday will still be made available. I think the only thing will be maybe game time decisions will be working with our law enforcement, our NROs and our wildlife officers to, to make any game time decisions on uh, safe practices. Um, if, if something if a change needs to be made, then we'll be relying on our law enforcement professionals to to guide us in that direction. And 
where can I go to get more information about the parks, about the specific events, about the camping spots? Is it different websites? Is there one place to go? So there's one Ohio website. I should have had it memorized, but there there is one Ohio website managed by the Ohio EMA. Uh, just look up the Ohio Total Eclipse uh, on any search engine and you'll be able to find it. All our materials are there. We've been working with the public Department of Public Safety, Department of Transportation, Department of Health. It's been an all-hands-on-deck effort to make sure that all our bases are covered when it comes to helping Ohioans and visitors of Ohio have the best experience possible during the total eclipse. And there's also more than 200 festivals going on in Ohio in the path of totality. And there's a great list that you can find online. And if it is not part of the web story for today's show, I will make sure it gets up there ASAP, along with the list of all 18 parks that ODNR has in the path of totality. So if you go to WOSU.org, maybe give it like an hour till we get it up, if it's not up there already, and we'll make sure we have all that for you. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you most excited about? So you said you saw the one in Kentucky, so you kind of know what to expect? Yeah. So I didn't see the one in Kentucky. Uh, Um, I remember being here for that partial eclipse last uh, year. Uh, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, the thing I'm most so you exci- haven't seen totality. I have not. I've not seen totality. No, I remember being so. Again, Tom was talking to me about the eclipse in '94. I remember being a kid in school, watching it through the little pinhole box contraption. Oh, yeah, I remember doing that and seeing a ref- re- uh, reflection on the ground and everything. And I remember that being really cool. But that again, that wasn't a total eclipse. I'm really excited for that moment that everybody talks about where they're able to look at it and just experience that 100% totality. That's exciting. Again, the reaction from animals is a really cool thing to to look forward to. Um, I've been really fortunate to explore all our a, a lot of our wildlife areas and state parks around the state, and it's just so cool to be immersed by nature. And so the idea of being in this backdrop where you get to see these beautiful trees bodies of water, uh, wildlife, and then experiencing the total eclipse. That's the moment I'm looking forward to, just being immersed by nature and astronomy all at once. Yeah, and I think, you know, in a lot of our state parks, you get the space, the distance from, like, the light pollution of the city, too. Yeah. So you have a better chance of, like, really seeing it. Yeah, and just these big open spaces, right? So, of course, we have our trees, but then especially with the lakes and everything, you have these big open spaces. Uh, Headlands Beach is another example right up against Lake Erie that is going to be a beautiful place for it. There's all sorts of places around Ohio to that will provide something a little different. Some places will have really beautiful trees around you. Some places will have bodies of water. And it's just, the again, the cool part about Ohio is our diverse landscape anyway. So excited for all the possibilities. Yeah, I'm really excited for this 360-degree sunset. Yeah. That sounds incredible. Yeah, amazing. It'll be cool. That was Andy Chow, the spokesperson for the Ohio Department of Natural Resources. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. And that'll do it for this hour of All Sides with Anna Staver on 89.7 NPR News.